Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Welcome everybody to um, One Hour at a Time. Uh, My name is Mary Woods and I am the host today. We are going to be talking about pain management um, and how to be pain managed, how to manage your pain and be addiction free at the same time. And our guest today is Dr. Stephen Grinstead. He is a senior consultant and trainer for the Gorski Synapse Corporation. He's also an author and internationally recognized expert in preventing relapse related to chronic pain disorders. He's a developer of the chronic, I'm sorry, he's a developer of the addiction free pain management system. Dr. Grinstead has been working with pain management, addictive disorders, and coexisting mental and personality disorders for over 20 years, teaching seminars and certification trainings for more than 8,000 healthcare professionals and therapists. Welcome, Dr. Grinstead. Um, you've reached a, right, a wide audience in your travels. Yes, and since that bio was written, it's gone up about 4,000 more people. And I really enjoy doing what I do because my mission is to teach people how to help people, especially people with chronic pain. This being the last week of recovery month, I think chronic pain and recovery is is a major issue um, that clinicians, doctors, and people in recovery need to understand and learn. So thank you for coming to talk to us about this. And could you begin by, how did you get started? This is a very... Uh, narrow field of practice. So how did you get started? Like a lot of people that move into health care, especially into addiction treatment, uh, there's a personal background. And the journey really started early on in my life when I ran into problem mixing pain medication with alcohol and then got into recovery. And about a year after I got in recovery, I got injured and got really scared. And I had to find alternative ways to stay in recovery and to also get my pain management needs met. And so I've been working with people with chronic pain and coexisting disorders, especially addiction, for the last 25 years, sharing with them what I've learned through my personal and professional journey through research. And the big turning point came for me when I trained with Terry Gorski in 1990 and was exposed to the Synapse model of relapse prevention. And I implemented that immediately with my pain patients I was working with in a hospital treatment setting. And our outcomes really skyrocketed after that. So it's using a real strategic approach. And then uh, Mr. Gorski really mentored me, helped me, and uh, got me started on writing. And our first book came out in 97, and since then I've put out about 10 more. And I just really love uh, talking about this, writing about this, working with people with pain. And it's, it's been an exciting journey. And today, I think more than ever, chronic pain is such an issue in healthcare. I know in New Hampshire, um, the majority of people that are in methadone maintenance programs are there as a result of opiate dependence, opiate misuse, and abuse. And it's not for heroin; it's for prescribed medication. So it seems to be exploding. And sometimes everywhere. the it's it's diverted medication too. In a lot of cases, the Drug Enforcement Agency has moved their war on drugs to the war on pain management providers, 
And unfortunately, that's only a small part of the diversion population. Many people with chronic pain uh, do never get into diversion tactics or even abuse or addiction, although a small percentage do. But a lot of people have learned over the years that street drugs are dangerous, whereas the pharmaceuticals like Vicodin, OxyContin, etc., have quality control behind them, and you usually get what you think you get. So a lot of uh, street addicts have turned to pharmaceuticals, and that's been a big problem. Right, and we also know that um, chronic pain is almost rampant in the adult population. One of the statistics from Peter Dehart Research Associates from August 2003 uh, states that 57% of adults experience a level 4-plus chronic pain, nearly 117 million people. And, and that's correct. And if you use a conservative 10% estimate, that means that 11.7 million of those people have either prescription drug abuse or addiction problems. That's more than we have treatment slots for in the whole country. Right. It's a problem. It is. It is. And so do you want to begin to tell us a little bit about um, the solution to, to this? Yeah, let's, let's get just talk just a little bit more about the problem because the problem... Okay. Uh, goes back to people's perceptions about addiction. There's a big stigma attached to it. A lot of people who get tagged as prescription drug addicts really aren't. So we'll talk more about that later, but there's that whole stigma around it. But there still leaves. There's a lot of people that do become addicted to their medication. Most people on medication don't. Unfortunately, what we've also seen, latest research in 2006 is showing that of all the people that get chronic pain management in the United States, over 90% of those people are prescribed opiates, and many of them do not need them. So that, that's the problem. So the solution starts with how do we identify and help people differentiate between medication dependency, which a lot of the medications people will be on dependent for, versus addiction. Now think of a drug like insulin that's used for diabetics. We never call somebody an insulin addict, do we? Never. That would be ludicrous. But yet, some people that are on chronic opiate maintenance, taking the medication as prescribed, not abusing it, not mixing it with anything else, sometimes they're accused of being opiate addicts. When they're dependent, yes, if they stop, they go into withdrawal. Now, there's also a phenomenon in the field called pseudo-addiction. And a lot of times it looks a lot like addiction. A lot of the behaviors are really mimic it, you know, like drug-seeking, clock-watching, running out of medication early, etc. But the underlying cause is mismanaged chronic pain. So that needs to be differentiated. So we need to take a look. The treatment plan is very similar, but we need to know which is which. And we also need to understand that there are different types of pain as well. I know from a, I'm, I'm a registered nurse and that acute pain due to insult, injury, surgery, we know that we need to stay ahead of it. And it's much more manageable if you stay ahead of it. Chronic pain is a different animal. Right. Acute pain is, you know, a lot of times we know what the cause is. We know what the treatment process is going to look like. And uh, opiates may be used successfully even for somebody in recovery if precautions are taken. Now, chronic pain, however... On the other hand, sometimes you don't know what the real underlying trigger generator is. Sometimes pain signals get turned on and don't get turned off, for example. 
And there's some conditions we're still, you know, struggling with chronic migraines, fibromyalgia, etc. So people with chronic pain have to be handled differently. A lot of the research on opiates are not do not uh, get into long-term use. It's mostly short-term studies. So we don't know what long-term use, except we're starting to find that out now because over the last 10 years, for example, prescriptions of Vicodin have gone up 800%. So we're starting to see what some of the long-term... One condition that develops is called hyperalgesia or a real sensitivity to the pain system or pain rebound, some people call it. In other words, what's happening is... The medication is causing the pain symptoms that they're taking the medication to stop, and it becomes a vicious cycle. And a lot of people experience that. Right. In your, um, in your book, Addiction-Free Pain Management, A Recovery Guide, Managing Pain and Medication in Recovery, one of the statements early on in the book is you talk about pain being your friend. And could you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I'll tell you, the first time when I'm working with patients, the first time I approach that with them, sometimes they want to hit me. What do you mean pain's my friend? You know, they've been fighting it. It's been their enemy. And even today, you know, I have flare-ups once in a while, and sometimes I start fighting my pain. My wife caught me using that term yesterday. She says, do you really want to fight this? And I had to, whoa, I better practice what I preach here. Basically, if the pain is trying to tell us something, pain is in us for a reason. If we didn't have pain receptors, we'd be in real bad trouble. Some people are actually born with minimal or no pain receptors, and they have very short and tragic life. You know, for example, if you, you're in your kitchen and, you know, you don't have any pain receptors in your hand, you put your hand down on a burner on the stove, your first indication of a problem would be you would smell meat cooking. Not a good way to find out you've just burned your hand off. So we need pain. Pain is definitely there. It's telling us something. There's also components to pain. There's three core components I talk about. One is the physical, which is the signal that goes from the receptor site up to the thalamus in the brain. Then we have a psychological part that has a combination of thinking and feeling responses. And then there is a social component, how it impacts on our surroundings and the people around us. So it's biopsychosocial. And unfortunately, a lot of times, the only thing people do is deal with the biological, and usually that is they mask the symptoms with medication. And that's where people can get into real trouble because they're not dealing with the other two core pieces. Well, we also know um, that people with chronic pain... Um, often chronic pain doesn't seem to carry the same weight as acute pain, is that chronic pain is subjective, so it's hard to right. measure, it's hard to, um, to, to really scale or, or, or assess. Right. And so oftentimes people with chronic pain um, suffer for years without having the right amount of medication. I mean, people in recovery especially because of it is what you said earlier, that if I'm in recovery and um, somebody's prescribing me medication for pain, it's a mood-altering substance and I'm not in recovery anymore. You know, there's two major problems with people in recovery that need pain management. That number one is the obvious. They take something mood-altering or take too much of something and it causes a relapse. Number two, however, is just as lethal. Number two is we buy into that old philosophy of don't take nothing no matter what. That is sometimes a really good thing to do, you know, for most addictive disorders. But if you also have chronic pain, 
that could actually raise people's stress levels, get them to the point of being severely depressed, maybe even suicidal, and eventually they'll get to that option reduction point where they'll use something, maybe their original drug of choice, they'll have a psychological or physical collapse, or they'll choose to commit suicide because they can't take it anymore. So I encourage people in recovery, you need to have a plan because those who fail to plan, plan to fail. And that's why I've written the Addiction-Free Pain Management Recovery Guide with the accompanying workbook is to teach people in recovery or people who don't want to have to get into recovery how to develop a plan to deal with both the pain and the medication and to have an effective medication management plan as one of the three core treatment components. The, other, the second component is dealing with the psychological-emotional components of the pain. And the third one is to develop non-pharmacological or non-medication-based interventions for their pain management. Um, so when we're looking at pain management, it really needs a comprehensive approach. It just cannot be medication or it just it's not a one-size-fits-all or one quick fix, is it? No, and also it is not one person cannot do it all. As experienced as I am, I want to have a team working with me when I have someone with chronic pain and coexisting disorders. Healthcare with medical personnel, mental health, and addiction working together collaboratively with the patient being the captain of the team. And we'll be right back to talk with Dr. Christen more about uh, the pain management team and what is effective addiction-free pain management. We'll be right back. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Ladies, are you looking for a place where you can talk candidly about anything and everything? Well, here it is. Timeless Women Speak on the Voice America Women's Channel. We'll talk about sexuality, age-proofing your career, finding your passion and purpose, keeping your brain power, keeping your marriage fresh, dating for grown-ups, plastic surgery, surviving our beauty culture, and much more. Tune in Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific to Timeless Women Speak with Dr. Nancy O'Reilly on the Voice America Women's channel. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Step into a healthier you. Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. My name is Mary Woods, and our guest today is Dr. Stephen Grinstead, and we're talking about addiction-free pain management. And we had ended up talking about how we need a team of people in order to effectively um, treat someone with chronic pain. But how, what, how would you define success? What, what can people do to be successful at um, managing their pain? 
Okay. You know, the high prognosis patients, the ones that do the best, they're the ones that get actively involved in understanding their pain disorder and available treatment interventions. They're also open to multiple opinions and options. You know, they don't get uh, black or white thinking, rigid, etc. They're able to become self-motivated. They're actively and systemically uh, are willing to experiment with both traditional and non-traditional pain management methods. And the, on the other side of the coin, though, is just the opposite. The low prognosis people are the ones that become compliant in following only recommendations of only the first person. Usually, all they use to manage their pain is medication. They expect to become pain-free, not to manage pain. They want zero pain, and that's unrealistic in a lot of cases and with minimal personal effort, and they're not motivated to work or experiment with traditional and non-traditional interventions. So one of the things that when I work and train treatment providers, one of the things I encourage is they start looking at the whole person, and that takes a team approach. So where we have to start is, okay, people that develop problems who have chronic pain have what uh, is usually called in the Diagnostic and Statistics Manual, the DSM, is called a pain disorder. It has both medical and psychological pieces to it. It's real. They're not making it up. They also have a substance use disorder, either substance abuse, pseudo-addiction, or addiction. And then like the general population, what is really common for people living with chronic pain is things like depression, sleep disorders, anxiety disorders, trauma disorders, and eating disorders. Then we have to have medical personnel that are able to take a look at what are the underlying generators or triggers for this pain. What is the person's physical health like? What is their medical condition? And then finally, what's going on psychologically, socially? What's going on in their environment with their support system? And most importantly, how well are they functioning? What is their quality of life? So that's what we need to be looking at, and that definitely takes a team approach. And I would suggest that it might be um, a bit challenging to find a medical team that will look at alternative therapies. That's been a problem, but fortunately, lately, a lot of the new research coming out on chronic pain management is indicating that you need to have a multidisciplinary approach to have the most effective treatment outcomes. This is exciting because research-based is the key today. That's the holy grail. And so a lot of the research now is demonstrating that multidisciplinary treatment is the most effective treatment for people living with chronic pain. Now, Which makes sense when you think about this being physiological, psychological, and in some ways spiritual as well. Yeah. When, like when I, when I develop treatment plans for patients, there's four quadrants. Biological, what are they doing in that area, including medication management fits in there. What are they doing for uh, exercise, nutrition, et cetera? Then psychologically, how are they managing their self-defeating thoughts and uncomfortable emotions? Socially, how are they inviting people to be part of the problem instead of part of the solution? And spiritually, how are they cutting themselves off from their higher power or um, God as they understand God? You know, what's happening here? So they need to have a treatment plan designed to fit those four areas. And I think it's, it's important for especially people in recovery or family members of people in recovery um, that if they need to take an opiate or um, a, a very... Uh, powerful pain medication, that if they take it as prescribed and they have someone with them that, that's kind of walking with them through this process, it doesn't mean they've relapsed. Well, more than that, I, what part of uh, 
one of the articles on my web- website is, as a matter of fact, on the articles page, there's over 30 articles that are free for patient download information. But one of them talks about managing pain and medication and recovery, and there's 12 action steps. One is to not hold and dispense your own medication. Another is to have a limited supply. Uh, most importantly, to make sure you're consulting with an addiction medicine specialist. So there's a lot of precautions people can take so they don't have a problem. And that's crucial. You know, I first started really doing solid research in this back in the 80s and then into the 90s. And by the mid-90s, what I had noticed, and it really bothered me, was there was a lot of research out there on addiction. There was also a lot of research out there on pain, chronic pain and pain management. But there was almost nothing, if anything, I couldn't find anything in 1996 that dealt with addiction and pain together. And that's still, there's a scarcity of that, but there's a lot more than there was. Right. And what I also discovered was uh, the dynamic that happened when a person had an addictive disorder and chronic pain. And this is where I came up with the addiction pain syndrome. So people with addiction or with addictive disorders, they have all kinds of negative problems, consequences, side effects because of that. A lot of different things go wrong that we're familiar with biologically, psychologically, socially, and spiritually. Now, a different person who has chronic pain has a whole different universe or a different set of problems, consequences, and impact on their life, quality of life, functioning, etc. Now, if you have the same person that has both, all of a sudden you don't get one plus one equals two. You get a synergistic effect, and that third zone is what I've coined the addiction pain syndrome zone. The problem is that let's say this person, this individual who has an addictive disorder and a pain disorder, go into the traditional addiction treatment program. They're dealing with one-third of the problem, the addiction. Let's say instead that same person goes into a pain clinic. They're dealing with a different third of the problem, the chronic pain. Now, over the last decade especially, there's been a lot of cross-referrals and uh, referring people to get uh, other treatments like addiction programs would seek out help from pain management. Pain management would seek out help from addiction. Much better because now we're dealing with two-thirds of the problem. That still left that synergistic zone, and that's why I developed the addiction-free pain management system. But there's a lot of obstacles that get in the way. Obstacles such as? Well, one of the biggies is that you don't have a multidisciplinary assessment and you don't recognize other coexisting disorders. Then there's things like family system problems. Sometimes there's codependency, also known as enabling behaviors. There's also some of the caretakers become burned out. They get angry or resentful with the patient. Then there's us, the healthcare providers. A lot of times uh, people come to me and say, they're not taking me serious. They're minimizing this. Sometimes they come to me and say, the only reason I'm going to you is because they believe it's all in my head. And then others, they blame the victim mentality. Well, they did it to themselves. It's their own fault. Okay. And, and that leads to, the, on the patient side, there's some other obstacles or self-defeating reactions. A lot of people in pain clinics, for example, that I consult with, they get into what I call malicious compliance. So they do, they say what you think, what they think they're supposed to. They do what they think they're supposed to, but it's just to keep the meds coming. A lot of times they become hopeless and helpless. They get into that uh, hopeless, helpless part. But the big piece that I found is a lot of people with chronic pain have a lot of shame and guilt about, like, for instance, no longer being a good parent, a good worker, 
a good student, good something or another, right? A good spouse, and they have a tremendous amount of grief and loss. Then we have, I mentioned earlier, depression and the other coexisting disorders. And the main thing for somebody who has legitimate chronic pain and becomes addicted, they also have tremendous amount of denial and resistance about the addiction, much more so than the people with addiction. We know how rampant denial is for addiction, right? Mm-hmm. With this population, it's magnified. Well, and, you know, you bring up a really good point in terms of people with chronic pain. There are a lot of losses, especially they may lose their identity as, as a career. They may lose their ability to be the, the hands-on, you know, soccer coach. or Absolutely. I mean, there's, there's just a lot of loss. And I know that um, while I think it's wonderful that now 12,000 people have gone through your um, pain management program, I think the vast majority of addiction health care providers really don't understand this well, and I don't think medical providers understand this, this whole area well. We tend to either do, as you said before, not give them any pain medication or mm-hmm. under-medicate them, which just sets them up for relapse because only, it's only partially controlled. The pain's only partially controlled. You know, one of the most common... Um comments I get from people that attend my trainings is, where the heck has this been? I mean, this, is, this really works. You know, and people that have taken my training have been kind enough to do endorsements and testimonials that you can find on my website. But it's like, it, you know, for me, it's, I've been doing it for so long, it's like common sense, but I keep forgetting that there has not been a lot of coverage of this dual problem and how to get out of the problem into the solution. And I, that's my main goal is to really uh, challenge and encourage people to find out how to be more effective. As a matter of fact, in the, you know, the trainings, a lot of times I'll get people come to my trainings that aren't professionals, but they're living with chronic pain. And I says, is it okay if I come anyway? I'll say, absolutely, because I train in earth language, not psychobabble or jargon. And a lot of them really get some great tools. Many of the treatment professionals I train are also in their own recovery, and a lot of them get the secondary gain of really enhancing their recovery program by having good medication management plans. So, you know, my mission is to really teach people how to help people. Well, and it's an ongoing um, process because I know I was at a national conference this year, and the whole um, question of whether someone was in recovery if they were taking uh, opiate replacement therapy or they were on some other medication-assisted uh, therapy, would, could you still consider them to be in recovery? And these were physicians that were debating it. It wasn't, you know, and if the physicians are debating it, um, what does it mean for the person who does have chronic pain? We, right. You know, we and, always think, oh, they're drug-seeking. We always tend to yep. prejudge them. Yeah, that's a major controversy, and I, I address that in almost every one of my trainings. You know, um, so how can people assess? How can people assess for pain because it is so subjective? One of the tools that I have in my workbook, for example, is to first of all teach people about the different components of pain. How much of their pain is physical? How much is psychological, emotional? They're both real. Remember I talked earlier about ascending and and, uh, descending pain signals, the signal that goes from the receptors up to the brain. That's the ascending pain signal. Then the brain interprets that and sends a message to our emotional center, and we have uncomfortable feelings about it, and it sends another message to our frontal lobe, and we have this 
thinking about it. Oh, God, this is horrible, awful, terrible. And then we react to that. We have pain behaviors that react to that. So we need to teach people to help differentiate between the two so they learn that the physical symptoms are what the medication's for. Unfortunately, people get into trouble because they're using the medication for the psychological, emotional symptoms also. And that's where the addiction really takes hold. Before we go to our next um, commercial, I was just wondering if we could just finish up by talking a little bit about the effect that chronic pain has on the family. The effect on the family can be devastating because I've seen many people, for instance, go through divorces. I've seen family systems. I've seen children turned into child protection because of uh, people being under the influence and driving with the kids, for example, or not being able to caretake them appropriately because they're too over-medicated. So there's a lot of systemic family problems. Family members have to start picking up the slack, and they become burned out and angry and resentful. Um, We're going to take a short commercial break, and when we come back, we'll be talking to Dr. Grinstead about solutions to pain management, Um, and we'll be right back. Steps to a healthier you. Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Would it be crazy if you just stopped everything, packed your bags and left for a week, a month, a year? What if you left for two years? Would people think you'd lost your mind? What if you were going far away to help in a village on the edge of the Gobi Desert? A village crowded with Buddhist temples, not skyscrapers. A place where there isn't a word for recluse, but a thousand words for community. Would it be crazy to go 5,000 miles from home? To spend time with people the rest of the world only reads about? To build libraries and fill them with stories? Prepare a meal with food you helped grow? To teach children and learn a thing or two about yourself. Would that be crazy? Peace Corps. Life is calling. How far will you go? To find out more, call 1-800-424-8580 or visit peacecorps.gov. A healthy dialogue for your lifestyle. Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. One hour at a time. This is Mary Woods, and today we're talking about addiction-free pain management with Dr. Stephen Grinstead. And 
what are some solutions to to pain management, and um, especially for people who are in recovery? Okay, one of the biggest things that I teach people is knowledge is power. Back centuries ago, Sir Francis Bacon first coined that term, and I stole it. I like it, but I always give him credit. Knowledge is power. The more they know about their addictive disorder and their pain disorder and the effective treatment plan, the better. They need to become knowledgeable, active participants and not passive recipients of treatment. And they're always need to be the captain of the team. I see my job as being a guide or a coach. I want to use a collaborative and non-confrontational approach with these people and develop a plan with the patient, not about the patient, on how to get into the solution. And that's basically what the addiction-free pain management system is. And, you know, I shared earlier that it started with my own journey into recovery. And then I started working with addicted pain patients and started sharing some hope. And then I started working with Terry Gorski and Synapse and integrating his biopsychosocial model with this population. And then finally, in 1995-96, I had had some articles published in a couple of national magazines, uh, Pain and Addiction, and that was one of the first times it hit national magazines. And I showed the article to Terry, and he says, wow, how would you like to work with me to develop uh, some relapse prevention protocols for this population? So we started field testing the first exercises for the first addiction-free pain management workbook. And I, in 1996, I started developing clinical trainings for healthcare professionals, and I've been doing that ever since. And now I'm up over 12,000 people I've trained. And I teach people about the system that has three core components. I call the first one the core clinical processes. These are actually the exercises from the workbook, and we use cognitive, behavioral, and affective or feeling-type therapy interventions with those. The second big one is medication management, finding appropriate prescribers who understand addiction and pain to develop an appropriate and effective medication interventions. And finally, developing non-pharmacological approaches, getting the patient to be proactive in their own healing. And so let me just briefly go through each one of these piece by piece real quickly. The workbook, for example, is where the core clinical processes are. The workbook was designed into four segments. The first segment is about knowledge gathering or assessing and gathering data. Like, for example, the first exercise is all about understanding the effects of chronic pain and how to differentiate between physical and psychological pain. Then we move into the next piece, which is starting to take a look at, uh, I titled it, what you wanted versus what you got from your medication. So understanding the effects of the medication, both the pros and the cons. The next one I move into is the motivational segment. And there, the first exercise is about decision-making. So giving people some tools how to make a better decision about appropriate medication. And then the next one is developing a medication management agreement along with a pain flare-up plan and an intervention plan. And then the, next, the, the third of the four is to develop a relapse prevention plan. Now, this plan is different than usual addiction relapse prevention because we're focusing on both the pain and the addiction concurrently at the same time. So the first thing we want to teach people to do is identify high-risk situations, situations that tend to set them up to relapse or get dysfunctional in recovery despite their commitment. Then we have them map it out, look at it, look at past instances because those who fail to learn from the past are doomed to repeat it. So we want to give them some tools and then we help them analyze what's going on thinking, feeling, urges, behaviors, and 
reactions with others. And then finally, the last piece is develop a recovery plan that addresses both the pain and the addiction. But that piece by itself is not enough. Then we need to make sure that we have medication management. Now there's a whole plethora of interventions possible. A lot of these people have only been on opiates, but let's say we want to get them off of the target problem, the opiates. Uh, Methadone had been one of the common ones for a long time, but now we've got a better one, buprenorphine, which is used under the brand name of Suboxone, which has naloxone in it, which is... reduces the abuse potential of the medication. Suboxone has been a great transition medication for the pain patients because it's good for moderate to severe pain management, too. Uh, There's other things, you know, transdermal patches, non-opiate-based transdermal patches. Um, There's some dangerous ones out there, like the tranquilizers, benzodiazepines, you know, like Xanax and Librium and Valium. Those can be a problem for people in recovery. But now we have the non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. Unfortunately, some people have major side effects to those. Then there's the antidepressant medications, which have been used for decades in pain management, but now we have some really good new ones that are now also FDA-approved for pain management, like uh, Cymbalta, for example. And then anti-seizure medication, the pregabalin, the Neurontin, and Lyricus. So we have a lot of those, and then we have medical procedures. I see the medical procedures being useful to help people stabilize you know, spinal cord stimulation, which is non-medication, right? It's using electrical stim, uh, going in and actually blocking or burning the nerves, uh, giving um, epidural or trigger point injections. So there's a lot of medical procedures that can be done too, but the most exciting part is on the non-pharmacological or the non-medication-based, you know, things like meditation, relaxation, learning to manage your uncomfortable emotions, massage therapy, physical therapy, chiropractic, acupuncture, biofeedback, yoga, tai chi. The only limit to these is your imagination or the imagination of your patients. This is where social support can come in handy. Unfortunately, a lot of people in 12-step recovery have got to be taught how to go to meetings and how to talk at meetings because a lot of pain patients get some very bad advice, even though both Narcotics Anonymous and Alcoholics Anonymous have program-sponsored literature that advises their members don't play doctor. A lot of people do. So someone would be on appropriate medication management plan, and they're being told by their sponsor or other group members that they're not really in recovery. Very dangerous. It's extremely dangerous. Could you just um, quickly uh, talk about the correlation between the seven stages of recovery and pain management, how, how you ended up taking um, Dr. Gorski's model and using it? Well, one of the things I do is I break it up into stages and phases. So there's three stages of pain management, and I have I broke it into three phases of uh, addiction treatment. Now, the developmental model, like you say, starts with the um, active addiction, actually, is where the person doesn't have a clue. And at some point, something happens. You know, they get hit over the head with the concept, yeah. wow, there's something wrong with this picture. So then they move into what we call the transition stage. Well, the pain patients go through a similar process because they're going along thinking everything's fine. They're not seeing the problems the medication is causing them. So that it's a real parallel process here. Then to get out of that transition stage, they need to move out of denial. So I'm going to break these apart artificially. I'm going to give you the three stages of pain management, what I think is necessary, and then the three phases of addiction treatment. This is all about the solution here. 
So the first for both of them, by the way, is a multidisciplinary assessment that I talked about earlier. Some people will need detox or taper from their medications. They'll definitely need to learn to differentiate and treat physical symptoms of pain versus the psychological emotional. And most importantly, they'll need to identify and manage their resistance and denial, not about the addiction here, but about pain management and about what some people call secondary gain. And a lot of people can't see, well, what's the positive of being in pain? Nothing. Oh, yeah, yeah, something is if you look hard enough. So, And I help people find that. And then right early on, we have to introduce them to those non-medication-based tools. Then when, when they get through that part, then we need to go to stage two. And stage two, we need to continue the non-pharmacological tools. But now is where we need to start developing relapse and pain flare-up plans geared towards the pain management. Now, I'm breaking these apart artificially, but in the real world, you would be doing this concurrently with the addiction. We want to help people also identify and manage grief and loss and do an assessment for trauma. You know, to this day, 100% of the patients I've worked with who became addicted and had true underlying physiological chronic pain had a moderate to severe trauma history. So that becomes a very important piece. Then in stage three, they have to get to the point, what I call getting a life. And a matter of fact, their identity has to change from being a pain patient to being a human being. And so what's really important here is to resolve those core issues and to fine-tune their pain flare-up plans. So what's really crucial in all of this is that people have ongoing counseling, therapy, and support. Absolutely. Because this really is a major life transition. And we'll be right back with Dr. Grinstead to talk about um, how you can get trained in addiction-free pain management and uh, where the upcoming seminars and workshops are. We'll be right back. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. To savor something means to delight in, to absolutely enjoy. So why not savor yourself? Author and internationally acclaimed speaker Doris Smeltzer brings her message to the airwaves with Savor Yourself, Beyond Skin Deep. Plan to spend an empowering hour with Doris where you will learn to recognize your worth and your beauty beyond society's limited one-size-fits-all mentality. Savor Yourself with Doris Smeltzer, Mondays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. on the East Coast, only on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure. There's this girl I kind of like. Say no more. You just have to impress her. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? You know, desks, chairs, people, grunt if you have to. 
grunt? Yeah, be like, oh, there you go. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt U.S. Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. This is Mary Woods. We're talking about addiction-free pain management with Dr. Stephen Grinstead. And before we went to break, you were talking to us about the phases of um, pain management and recovery. So could you finish, please? Right, exactly. Well, once, just remember, it's really important. A lot of people get confused, so I really have to be careful when I'm skill training uh, professionals about this because... I have to break them apart artificially, but in the real world, they work together. So I covered the stages of pain management, but there's also three phases of addiction treatment. The first one is for people in what we call the transition and stabilization stages of the developmental model of recovery. This is where we want to assess the level of the addictive disorder, differentiate between abuse, dependency, pseudo-addiction, and addiction. And this is where we want to identify and manage denial as regarding the problem with substance. We want to immediately implement stress and craving management for the individual because this will lower their relapse rates and, dev- and implement a biopsychosocial treatment plan and start introducing them to the social support concept. Social support is crucial for people in addiction recovery, but even more so, many chronic pain patients become totally isolated. Then when we move people into the early recovery, their work's not done. They need to continue to monitor and manage their denial, but now they have to identify and manage their high-risk situations, look for their personal relapse justifications, and they start, need to start working on some of their trauma issues. And then in the last phase, they need to move from external to internal motivation. If some people ask me, well, Steve, how long do I have to be in, recover- in recovery? How long do I have to keep going to treatment? How long do I have to keep going to these meetings? So the answer is very simple, but you're not going to like it. This is, well, what is it? Well, you have to keep going until you want to. Okay. And, and that's where they move from external to internal motivation. Sometimes this requires them in the middle to late stages of recovery, they need to start using some other tools. Early recovery tools do not work well on late recovery issues like pre-existing psychological problems, trauma history, or other life problems. And they have to be able to identify high-risk situations and core personality warning signs and deal with them concurrently. So that pretty much summarizes that. So how do we um, learn how to deal with as treatment providers, effectively with pain management for folks in recovery or for folks who don't want to end up with um, a physiological dependence? We've recreated a number of ways. Some of them are inexpensive or free. One thing I'd encourage people to do is go to my website, www.addiction-free.com, and cruise around. Go to the articles page. There's over 30 articles, 30-some articles on there now about all kinds of different topics. Uh, take a look at the research page. Then I have a number of publications for people that want to spend a little bit of money. We keep our publications price low. I use the same publisher as Terry Gorski does. He's the one that got me started. I co-author some with him also. 
So there, there's, we can do that. And then the big part is to come to a skill training. And Greg Lovelidge with the Institute of Chemical Dependency Studies and the Recovery Today newspaper has graciously co-sponsoring with Synapse the Addiction-Free Pain Management Certification Schools coming up this fall in four different areas around the country. And earlier I talked about the importance of collaboration. And this is where Greg and Synapse, myself, and my two centers of excellence, which I haven't talked about, Sierra Tucson is my first addiction-free pain management center of excellence. They've committed to implementing my model. The other one is on the East Coast. It's Valley Forge Medical Center and Hospital. They, too, have committed to being a center of excellence. They're graciously co-sponsoring these also. And then locally, at each local location, like the, the first training is in Manhattan. The Resource Training Center is the local sponsor. And they, they offer services to individuals who are experiencing difficulty gaining employment due to their history of alcohol and drug use, incarceration because of addiction, etc. They are very firmly committed because they know a lot of the people they work with have chronic pain issues. The next training, which is in uh, Houston, is co-sponsored by the Memorial Herman Prevention and Recovery Center in Houston. And they're... They've, they've been around for 100 years now. They celebrated their centennial in 2007. Their mission is to improve the health of people in the communities they serve. So they're, they're the sponsors in the Houston area. The next training is in November, and that's in Tampa, Florida. And one of the big treatment programs in Tampa is Turning Point. And they provide high-quality 12-step-based addiction treatment. And they wanted to talk to me before they were willing to be a co-sponsor to make sure that uh, addiction-free pain management was parallel and fit in with 12-step philosophy. And after we talked for about three minutes, they were, they were assured. And after they went to my website, they were more than assured that, yes, it does. Uh, then the last training is going to be in Dallas, Texas. And the sponsor there is the Recovery Health Center Corporation, and they address substance abuse issues with individuals, families, and businesses. So this is, again, a team effort that we're putting together. And for people that want to really get active, you know, they go to my website on the calendar page, and you can look at the trainings. For example, let me just give you some of the learning objectives for the people that come to this training. By attending the training, they'll be able to understand and explain the unique needs and obstacles that confront patients who are both chemically dependent and have chronic pain. They'll also be able to identify the 12 denial patterns that sabotage effective pain management or addiction recovery. They'll be able to determine whether a patient's pain condition is more physiological, psychological, emotional, or a combination of both, and to develop an appropriate treatment plan. They'll be able to identify and understand five other common co-occurring disorders, and more importantly, they'll be able to help patients identify, personalize, and analyze their high-risk situations and develop a plan for it. And those are some of the things that they learn by going to the training. My trainings are always a combination of lecture, demonstration, and experiential. So they get to hear it, see it, and do it. And it's very and dynamic training. training? It's a 20-hour training? Training. training. It's a three-day, 20-hour training. And it comes with an optional competency certification for people that want to do an additional case study after the training. And that's an, an additional fee, but people that do that really learn the model. I, I get, uh, when, when people go through this all the time, they say, boy, it was the tough, one of the toughest things I've ever done. And some of these people have gone, you know, done doctoral dissertations. <laughs> they said that was 
that was on the same par some for some of them because it's right. so st- structured and the way they have to go through it. But by the end of it, they are so grateful because they really get it. It sounds like a great opportunity for any provider out there who's looking to be able to help their uh, participants and patients who suffer from chronic pain. It's no, nice ab- to know absolute. there is a solution. And Absolutely. Yeah, because, you know, I've covered some of the things that we're going to be covering in the training, you know, like the three core components. They will actually learn how to be skill trained at each of the exercises in the workbook. They'll get to role play it. The other thing we use in the synapse trainings always is experiential exercises with the person playing the role of the target problem, someone with chronic pain and coexisting addiction in this case. We do that for two reasons. One is the obvious to teach a skill, a clinical skill. The second one, though, is more important. That's to teach them how to have empathy and compassion to see what it's like being on the receiving end. That makes them much better healthcare providers. Yes. And it's very exciting to watch people's reactions to that because some people have a really hard time getting into that client role, and they develop a lot more empathy and compassion for their patients. So um, before we end for the day, what is the one thing that you think people should really understand about chronic pain and recovery? That chronic pain is real, and recovery is very possible, even if you have to be on appropriate medication management. And if they're looking for um, more information or help, they can go to your website? Please go to my website on the contact page. There's a place where they can ask questions, make comments. I also offer uh, addiction-free pain management coaching with certified life coaches who've been trained in addiction-free pain management. This is a new service we've just started offering. So they can go to our coaching page or email us for more information about that because a lot of people are taking advantage. Like, for instance, a lot of people in rural areas that don't have access to some of the good treatment, we can work with them and help help them develop their plans together in a coaching model. On my blog page, yesterday's blog, I did uh, a whole piece on APM coaching that people can go to on, on my blog page on the website. Really encourage people also to sign up for my Chronic Pain Solutions free newsletter. The free email newsletter you you send you send a request in on our contact page and you get an email back. You're not signed up till you reply back, and that we keep people updated on what's the latest in training, what's the latest every every month. I put three new research articles and one new article up on the website, so it's always new material coming out every month. And once again, your website is www. Addiction, addiction-free.com. Okay. Thank you so much for spending this hour with us, Dr. Grimstead. It's been very illuminating, and I'm hoping that a lot of people will feel very hopeful after listening to this to know that there's a solution. Thank you. Well, thank you, Mary, because I also appreciate your collaboration. Oh, um, this is great. This is great information to give to folks. So um, have a great week, everyone, and we'll... Uh, Talk to you next week. Thank you. We appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week.